Hello and happy New Year's Eve. I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment podcast. Uh, in this episode, I have the opportunity to feature Matt Faircloth. Matt is the founder of the and CEO of the DeRosa Group. He's also a published author. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you've had a great 2021 and are excited about everything ahead in 2022. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I am honored to have Matt Faircloth with me. Uh, Matt is a real estate investor and the founder of the DeRosa Group. He is an avid lover of Captain America, and his business's goal is, uh, I'll kind of put it in quotes, it's transforming lives through real estate by providing great, safe, and affordable living. And so, Matt, I appreciate you being on the show today and excited to uh, highlight your story. Thank you, Phil. And I appreciate you uh, doing your own intro there because so many times when you come on, uh, people like, like, oh, let me just read your introduction. It's always this like kind of corny thing. Um, that, that's uh, that, that's well said. And I might change that <laughs> to like, I'm a, you know, Matt, you know I, I'm a lover of Captain America and we want to transform lives through real estate. The end. Right. Because, you know, in my world is always like, well, how many units do you have and how much, how many deals have you done? And, you know, da, 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 da. It's it's very it's very plastic, but that was uh, that was very real. Thank you, I appreciate that, that. and it's an honor to be here, and I love the name of your show. I appreciate it. Well, good. <laughs> well, excited to highlight it. So, yeah, you man. know, Matt, just for you getting started, um, like many people do, you're you're going through life, and you graduate high school, and it's time mm-hmm. to uh, see what's next, and you decide to go to Virginia Tech, and you don't study real estate there, but talk a little bit about your time at Virginia Tech, things you learned, and uh, life lessons that might have come from that. Sure. I, uh, I went there because I was uh, I, <clears throat> a lot of my friends, my parents' friends growing up were like, hey, you're good at math and science. And so you should go and be an engineer. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll, thanks, growing up. Thanks for that advice. And so I went to college for engineering, not knowing what, because kids are just trusting, you know, yeah. not knowing what an engineer did. I right. went and got my degree in engineering. And by the time that I got out of college, I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to be an engineer. You know? <laughs> so I, I, I just, I was more of a people person. I developed people skills in college and become yeah. like, you know, more social and had a lot of fun and, um, you know, built social circles and, and, you know, you know, just did what you do in college. Right. So, um, and I realized that I loved people. Through my my collegiate interactions and the job of an engineer that I had seen looked like this person sitting here in a little cubicle and a desk designing (laughs) a better widget. And I'm like, huh, well, that sucks. I don't want to do, you know, I don't want to do that. That's no fun at all, is it? Um, And so I uh, took a job uh, from there that required an engineering degree, but it was sales because the end buyer that you were selling the product to were engineers, right? Yeah. And they figured that you could talk engineering talk, talk the jargon and, and you know, talk fluid dynamics with these people because it was, you're selling compressed air machinery. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of thermodynamics and a lot of uh, fluid dynamics and a lot of complexities and a lot of black and black and blah, 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 blah that goes into <laughs> being able to sell those things because you got to be able to, you know, talk about parents per square inch and, you yeah. know, CFM and all that other fun stuff. So I knew how to talk that shop. It also knew how to, I knew it was also a people person. And so I was like, hey, this is it. I'll do it. Yeah. So I um, got that job and excelled at it. And, uh, and, and that, that, was a, that was a pivotal moment, if you will. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I like it, the dynamic of it, right? You had the information or the yeah. knowledge base to work with engineers, but you had developed the personal skills to do the sales side. So you weren't just doing the designing and things like that. Well, and I, the other option I had, Phil, was to completely sell out and just like say, like, thanks, Virginia Tech, for that engineering degree. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get this job in consulting over here that's got nothing to do with engineering, right? Yeah. Um, and so I was glad to pick something to leverage what I had learned a bit. It was a bit, it was a total niche. I mean, people aren't clamoring out of college. Like, oh, I want to sell air compressors, you know? Yeah. Right? Uh, so it wasn't like it was a line around the block um, to get that job. But so, uh, but it was a well-paying job. It's just kind of like a niche where like you needed to know how to talk tech. Yes. But you also need to know how to sell. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that works for me. Um, and a lot of my buddies that were like the, you know, the social butterfly buddies were all getting jobs at the time with Arthur Answer Anderson, which yep. became Accenture and getting jobs for the big five, selling um, uh, accounting work and, you know, yeah. getting into the daily grind, doing the 80 hour a week thing, uh, getting into the, into the boiler room of those companies that paid very well. But you pretty much had to leave your soul at the door, you know, right. when you when you got into those organizations, right? Um, yeah. and they didn't care what your degree was; they just cared if you were willing to work and if you could, you know, out, if you could just grind. They were willing to to bring you in. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad I didn't do that. I'm glad I went for the the sales job with it. the company was Ingersoll Rand is is who I took the job for. So yeah, so I'm grateful I did that. Absolutely. Now, at some point during your working life, you read mm -hmm. a book that many folks have read. It, some people call it the Purple Bible. Some people call it Rich Dad Poor Dad. Whatever you purple want to call it. <laughs> by the crazy, the little book, the little purple book by the crazy marine, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, that little purple book was put in my hand by my by my girlfriend now wife. And to any men or women out there, if a girlfriend or boyfriend puts the little purple book in your hand, marry them on the spot, man, because that means your goals are aligned, right? Yeah. Um, and it means that they think a little differently than, than the next person. So um, my girl and I had moved around a bit through Ingersoll Rand, and I ended up in Philly where I met Liz. Yeah. Um, and she put the little purple book in my hand. And that book changed my life. And I had, I'd nailed a big, this is a pivotal, yet another pivotal moment, Phil, yeah. um, playing into your show here. I, uh, had sold a bunch of compressed air equipment, like, like just a, just a big boatload of, you know, several tractor trailers full of, of compressed air equipment to Minute Maid Orange Juice in, uh, Heightstown, New Jersey. And I sold all this stuff and I got this, you know, at the time, a gargantuan commission check for, you know, 25 year old that, that uh, you know, coming off a hangover 25, that, that check that size, you're like, Oh my goodness, what am I going to do with this money? Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I put it in savings. I'm like, this is like, this is a lot of money. I'm just going to put this over there and pretend like I don't see it, you know? Yeah. And so she put the little purple book in my hand and the landlord, we used to believe me and a, a bunch of my, you know, uh, other getting off a hangover friends were all living in, in, in a little town called Maniunk in Philadelphia. Right. Okay. Yeah. And we're all like, you know, just, just sitting around, you know, when we're, when we're, we're going to live because our, oh, our landlord that owned the property was selling the property. Got it. And, you know, and the place was kind of a beater. It was, it was okay, but it was, it was a little beat up and, and uh, needed yeah. some work and didn't have central AC and just needed a lot. Just, just, I was like, yeah, you know, I guess I could buy this house. And I had that money. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Man, I could, that could be my down payment. There you go. Um, and the realtor that sold the house is like, well, I don't know if you want to buy this house because for this kind of money, you could buy 
that house over there yeah uh next town over and you and you and our your little friends here could go move into that house and those friends could you know could move with you and i'm like hey well purple book says that i could be a landlord you know well that guy in purple book talks about having tenants hmm. yeah so i bought the house that real that realtor that sold my landlord's house took me and sold me a house too he made a nice commission yeah <laughs> i should say that was right? worthwhile time. he's making a right, pivotal moment for him right for, <laughs> yeah. for meeting this crazy kid that just read the purple book right yeah. so i buy a three bedroom one and a half bath and my two buddies move in with me and each of them are paying me 500 bucks a month and my mortgage is 940 right so i know right and phil is pumping his fist yeah <laughs> and so I, i'm like man this is pretty cool i'm making 60 bucks a month making good money you, you know selling these big old loud machines for ingersoll rand you know and and i'm living here for free and making yeah i, I have no living expenses yeah so that was a huge pivotal moment and that was like where is that kool-aid that 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 crazy marine is selling because i want it you know and I, that was all i needed that was it that, that, that i've been hooked since then yes so as you're growing and developing in that uh yeah. time frame um there becomes a point where i don't know if it's your father-in-law or your father-in-law to That's be him. at the time salvatore yeah, you, you, you need to get a few dollars for a next project. That's it. Yeah. So talk a little I didn't, bit about Minute Maid didn't want any more compressed air machinery. <laughs> so I couldn't go back to Minute Maid and sell them more stuff. Funny, you know what, Phil? It was funny. That plant that I sold all that stuff to, like yeah. a couple of years after I sold it, they shut it down. <laughs> you said, hey, I got it. You're not taking any of this. Back. That's it. We bought all that stuff from Faircloth. He bankrupted us. We're out of here. No, they just, yeah, you know, just that what big companies do. They just right. said, hey, we could save 3% of shareholder revenue. We're black and flag and black. And if we just move this whole thing to Michigan. So they moved that entire orange juice operation wow. to Michigan um, and shut down the Jersey operation. Took like the half a million dollars worth of equipment oh. that I sold them. And, you know, I didn't make a half a million. Just trust yeah. you. I said that that was the sticker price of what I sold them. Yeah. But, they took that and moved it somewhere else or whatever. So Minute Maid was not buying any more any more equipment. So I had to go to Salvatore to buy the money for a duplex that Liz and I had found. Yeah. And so yeah. talk a little bit about being willing to, you know, reach out to someone within your network to generate yep. some funds, right? I think um, there's kind of two ways you can go about it when you're starting in the real estate world. And that is the first way you yeah. did it. And that's your own capital. Second is sometimes you don't have the capital. And so you need to have somebody that trusts you enough to give you that capital. Yeah. So he, I, I believe, I mean, I have to, you know, ask, ask, uh, ask big Sal what he thought of it. Cause you know, uh, he's now my father-in-law He's my girlfriend's dad at the time. Right? Yeah. Um, right. You know, six foot two from Brooklyn, Salvatore, right. Let's go to him to borrow money. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> make sure to pay that guy. He's going to make sure I pay you back. Right. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so I, uh, I, I'd go to, we, we had, he had seen Liz and I, our passion for real estate. And that was not, it's not like, Matt bought the house he lived in. And then two weeks later, Liz and I started going out and looking for new deals. Liz yeah. and I spent a year getting educated. Yes. Like 
some couples are going to Cabo on the weekends. Liz and I went to weekend with real estate, you know, weekends and yeah. um, went and did, went and did driving for dollars, went around looking for properties, went and met with people that we knew that were successful real estate investors um, and slowly built our knowledge, built our network and, and that. And he saw us doing that. And after a year of us doing that, we decided that we would go out and try and find another deal while we were dating. We were engaged. We had gotten engaged, Yep, but- we um we were still dating, not married yet, and we started looking for property. And um, we I think we weren't sure how we we're going to fund it, but he said to us, "Hey, if you guys find something, let me know." And I think that that is a testament to your listener base. That uh, had I gone to him and been like, "Hey, first time, hey, you know, Sal, if we find a deal, you know, we fund yeah. it." Uh, it w- versus telling your network how excited you are or showing them how excited you are about you doing what you're doing. Yes. Um, and then they'll eventually fall in line with it. So you just got to have faith that these things will follow. Um, and so I do a lot of telling my network today, Hey, this is what I'm up to. Yeah. You, know, you don't, I don't tell anybody, Hey, you can buy an apartment building alongside me, you know, Hey, black and flag flag. And I'm just like, Hey, I buy apartment buildings and I make a lot of investors, a lot of money through what I do. Yep. Have a great day. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, it's a matter of confidently showing your network um, that what you do works and what you do is amazing. And he saw that and he believed in her and I, not just because it was his daughter, because he could have put given his 30 grand to anybody else, you know, right? Yeah. to his financial plan or whatever. But like, he decided like, hey, listen, these two are onto something. And so yeah. again, he loaned us 30 grand um, and uh, at, at an interest rate, fair interest rate and all that. And we took yeah. that and bought a duplex. Yes. So your, your real estate's growing, it's expanding and there becomes a day where your wife says to you, maybe it's time to exit the normal job world and just Mm -hmm. start focusing on real estate. So talk about what kind of led to that and what was the catalyst for that conversation to happen? It didn't take much talking into, (laughs) you know, I remember the moment when she was like, well, we, we were going to try and, you know, just me hold down the day job and moonlight. Right. Yep. Um, but I, but I knew where that, that being in corporate like that at the time, I think maybe corporate, maybe corporate life has probably changed since then. Right. Um, but back then this is like, you know, mid two thousands, right. It's like 2005. Um, and back then, if you wanted to advance through a mid-sized corporate company like that, like a fortune five company company, you got to be ready to move. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be like, oh, we need you in middle management in Dallas. And so you're going to move to Dallas. You'll be there and you need to move there in the next two weeks and we'll move your stuff for you. We'll help you sell your house. And you're just going to pick up and you're just my pawn on the chessboard. And we're going to put the pawn over here now. Um, And so I knew that that phone call was coming at some point that I was going to be asked to leave Philadelphia and go to Orlando. Right. and uh, to, to advance through the company because I did well. I, I was still one of their sales reps, even though I you know, had the house that I owned and we had yeah. one duplex together, Liz and I. Um, I knew that that call was going to come. And if I kept passing them over on promotions or on, on moves, I was just going to start to get the stink eye you know, right. from them, you know, right? Yeah. Um, and they would start to figure out my passion wasn't, you know, you don't love selling air compressors so much. You're not going to move to Tallahassee, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. I know. Well, it's okay. So, I knew that I needed to do something and I also knew my passion wasn't in it. And there was bigger, I knew there was more in me than what I was doing. So it didn't take much talking and she was just getting out of grad school. So she wanted to pursue that. And 
So if one of us were to go full time, hey, let's go to the guy that's been doing this for seven years and has hit the glass ceiling versus the grad school graduate that just paid however many, you know, thousands of dollars to go to University of Pennsylvania. Yep. Let's give her grad school degree a shot. Let that let that let that rabbit run a little bit and see where that goes. And let's see what I can do with starting a company. So um, it was an easy enrollment. It was her idea. It was, and it was an easy enrollment for me to quit my job. And we also, the biggest thing we did, Phil, is we chose to do this whacked out thing that I wish more young people would do. And that's called living below your means. Mm, Um, Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Don't mean not spending all the money that we make every month. Huh. (laughs) Intriguing. So we were able to find a way through our mortgage and I'm, uh, you know, we lived lean, but we found a way to live for between 3,000 and 4,000 a month. Right. We found a way to make that to make our top line living expenses that cover a family of two um, and that which and, and own a home, not rent. Right? Yeah. So we owned our home and we were we were living at like, you know, you know, three to four grand a month is what we were living on. We weren't living fat. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. There were a lot of rum, a lot of ramen noodle nights in there. Um, but, uh, but we made it work and that enabled me to build our business. And during the downturn and when things got weird in real estate in 2008, 2009, we were comfortable because it's like, okay, yeah, it's getting cold out there, but we can just hunker down a little bit, you know? Um, and that, that, that was a pivotal moment too. Absolutely. So as you're starting off, you're starting off in either single family or duplex type of, Mm -hmm investment rental properties residential housing now for you on that side is that predominantly due to capital and just only you know only having enough to buy that size of a property or was that kind of what you were more familiar with so you didn't want to venture into bigger projects yet there's a lot of why on why we did it um a lot of it there was back then and there's still this still is the truth i believe a lot of the education space around how to learn how to invest and how to build an investing business was around residential housing because right. most people that most landlords are residential landlords there are plenty of commercial landlords but um, those that go out and educate others on how to do this business um, are, are mostly residential landlords right yep. um, residential is the lowest is, is the lowest barrier to entry in a lot of ways yeah. Um and if you go back to the mantra of our company, what Liz and I wanted to do, which is to make people's lives better and transform lives to real estate, it is arguable that residential real estate is the best way to do that. Maybe, right. you know, a lot of other real estate provides jobs and provides economic opportunities and provides a lot of things, which yeah. is all true, yep. but it's perhaps perceived to be that way that residential housing uh, does it too. So we gravitated to that for all those reasons. Yes. Now, over time, it, like you said, hey, make it through the downturn of, you know, the 07, 08, 09 housing market. And then into 2011, you decide now is a great opportunity to start some outside fundraising and mm-hmm. some outside capital coming in. So what led you to make that decision? And uh, what was the, I guess, the market that you started with for the fundraising? So you're making Sal me sound smart, man. You're making me sound smart, right? I mean, we looked at like, Salvatore backing us up, that wasn't even like a raising private capital moment. Yeah. I mean, that's in the book, right? Um, but it's not one of those um, moments that was like, oh yeah, this is just totally raising private capital. At that time, it was my girlfriend's dad helping us out, right? Yeah, right. Um, the uh, Like I said, you're making me sound smart. Like Liz and I were like, 
hey, let's form ourselves a business plan and we're going to go start presenting capital people and we're going to offer them great rates of return and IRRs and cash on cash returns and their money, right? Here's how it really went down, okay? It didn't go down anywhere like that. Liz was at a alumni networking event for Penn. Remember I said I married yeah. a smart girl that went to University of Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. So she's talking to one of her Penn buddies, this guy who's now a financial planner up in Manhattan, right? And she's telling this guy, oh yeah, my husband and I, I'm running, I'm running this, you know, so the social, uh, the, the, she's, she was working for a personality assessment company, helping them market that, that help people put the right, help companies put the right people in the right seats. Yeah. Okay. Then she's like, well, my husband also runs a real estate company. We've got some rentals, da, 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 right? And this financial planner guy goes, real estate, huh? Man, I sure wish I could invest in real estate too, but I just don't have the time. Ding, mm, right? And yep. pivotal moment, right? My uh, wife, uh, God bless her, just looking out for her hubby, goes, you should talk to my husband, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll go talk to him. What, what am I going to tell this guy, right? So her and I get on the train and head up to Manhattan, right? Yeah. Um, and me and this guy sit down for breakfast and he works it out where it's like, so if I were to, you could just tell the language. He goes like, if I were to give you $60,000, you know, and I'm like, oh, let's talk it. Let's talk about that. What that would look like for you giving me $60,000. I want to hear more about that scenario. Yeah. Right. All joking aside, he's like, well, if you find a real estate opportunity that makes sense. And I, this is about what I have to put to work, you know, yeah. what would it look like? You know, and he was very frank with me about it. And, you know, and I was like, well, I could do, we could do this. We could do this opportunity, that opportunity. Um, this is kind of what I'm thinking and everything like that. And, and these are, these are opportunities I see in the market and, yeah, you know, and we just worked it out where he's like, okay, I'm going to be the sweat. You know, Matt's going to be the sweat. Uh, this guy's name is Michael. You're going to be the, the money. Yeah. And then we're going to ride off into the sunset, you know? And so um, he uh, wrote, wrote a chat. I found two uh, single family homes, little duplex, a little single family home fixer uppers yeah. post, post economic crash, right? Yep. That uh, were originally valued at like $130,000 or whatever. And they were on sale for 25 grand a piece. Wow. I know, wow. right? But they used to be, they were valued at 130 uh, each back pre-crash this is like we deserved a crash at that point phil because you could an investor could buy those on no money down right right and if i can buy a property on no money down i don't care what the price is right right Right. yeah right right Right. so at that time there was no mortgage you couldn't get financing on it right so i needed 25 grand uh, and they were beaters, right? Because like, again, if, it, if, if you don't have much money into something, it don't, you don't treat it very well. So the right. tenants had just destroyed these places uh, and that, but they were foreclosed back uh, from the, their bank owned. And so we bought them from the bank and uh, for 25K a piece, yeah. renovated them for another 25K a piece. Um, my guy, Michael came in for 50K private equity. And I found another, this is another pivotal moment. It's the guy that showed up uh, there was a friend of mine, a friend of a friend that had been buying some real estate around uh, Trenton yeah. and he was financing it through a self-directed IRA loan mm. from a colleague of his guy yeah. that he worked with that taught him about self-directed IRAs. And this guy's, his buddy was a landlord too. And was like, Hey, I've been borrowing these, this IRA money yeah. uh, at, on a bed as a loan and putting it to work in my real estate business. You should try that too. And use my IRA for your thing. And then this guy taught me how to do it. And he's like, okay, so I'm going to put my IRA up. You're going to borrow it. This, here's the documents. Here they are. 
yeah. you know, and, and my retirement account is going to bankroll your real estate company. And the reason why he needed me to do it is because you can't take your retirement account and fund your business with it. Correct. Like you're, you can't benefit yourself personally. So yeah. He couldn't give the money to himself. He had to give it to somebody else. So yep. He gave it to me. And, and, all, and, and now we're off to riding off to the sunset, right, Phil? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was my first deal. Again, total pivotal thing of just conversations that come up and you kind of follow the breadcrumbs a bit, you know? Yeah. Now, one thing I want to highlight there and I want, you know, now obviously you've had many, many more experiences, but talk about going into partnership with someone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, they joke about it and they say it's like a marriage. Well, it is like a marriage, right? I mean, there's a lot at stake here. We have differing opinions potentially coming in. So talk about how those conversations went with people that were bringing money in, but you were kind of spearheading the, the project, if you will. I mean, in the beginning, um, you know, it, it was kind of like, you know, you, you figure it out as you go kind of yeah. thing. And, and, and the, you, you let, you just really got to talk about like, Hey, this is what the opportunity of the market is, is that I see like those two single family homes that we bought for $25,000 a piece, right? They yep. both needed 25 can work. So total exposure was 50 K per address, right? Yes. I knew I could lease them for guess what, Phil? 950 a month is what wow. I could lease them for per house. Right. Yeah. I knew that worked. And I knew I could do that. And I knew I could refinance them once I had a tenant in there and we were cleaned up and had a CO and they were in good condition that the tenant's rent uh, coming in would justify a mortgage that was a little bit more than what my equity and my debt was. Yeah, I knew that would work. And so people would call me and really went back to my financial planner, buddy, Michael, that he like one or two of his clients were like, Hey, I want something different. And he was like, well, let's talk to my friend, Matt. Before you know it, he's bringing down people to come meet with me. Right. And him, not like, you know, busloads of people, but like one or two people would come down with him yeah. and I'd show him around Trenton. Hey, this, this is what we got. This is, yeah. this is, here's Trenton. Here's what it is good for good or for bad. This is the market I know. And this is the market I can present to you. Yeah. And so we would go, they're like, okay, I can do a deal for X. And I would go and find something that I knew I could buy for that money and we would assemble a thing and I would be the sweat and they would be the money and off we would go. Yeah. Uh, and it went down like that a couple of times until we started to develop like, okay, let's try and increase the complexity here. Well, we did our first like real multiple investor syndication yeah. where that, that was the fourth one that we did, which, which we actually named DeRosa Capital 4. And there's been DeRosa Capital, whatever, all the way up through there. Now we just, we're about to close on DeRosa Capital 13, 14, and 15 right now wow. um, in my company. So yeah. um, we, uh, that was D D DC4 at the time was a couple of investors, a couple of these people, including my financial planner, dude, all come in and we fund uh, a, a couple of acquisitions and that, and that was like next level up. But by that point, I had learned a bit on what investors really want and how I could structure something that made sense for me, made sense for them. We had a good lawyer in place by then that was like, yeah. okay, what you're doing is called a syndication now. And this is what this looks like. And this organization called the SEC over here, they need to be involved in this um, because it's not one-off joint venture partnerships right. anymore. Right, yep. yeah, yeah. You're, you're technically selling a security, Matt. And so they took me to school and showed me the whole thing. And that's, uh, it's, we learned, you know, uh, kind of learned a lot of this on the fly, um, yeah. learned it as we grew and learned what we needed to learn as we grow into it. Um, and, and that was a pivotal moment too, in, yeah. in doing a group of investors and we bought uh, a four unit. Yeah. We bought a four unit and a five unit, um, and in Trenton bought them free and clear, fixed them up, 
uh, rented them out, refinanced them, and then took that refinance capital and then burred it and then did it again and again. And yeah. We know it had built out a, por- a small portfolio. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. So as, as it continues to grow. Snowball, um, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you continue to grow your, your business, your units and things of that nature. Eventually, Trenton isn't the only spot. <laughs> I wanted, I, I still believe in that town. And I still, I, I sure wish the town all. could get out of its own way. What's that? So you could just buy the whole town. I, we probably could, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You and me, Phil, let's get together and figure it out, right? Um, no, but it, it's in in a, in a lot of ways, it still has many, many uh, hurdles that face yeah. it. And those hurdles are the same ones that faced it when I first started investing there in 2005, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and a lot of our investors just wanted something, wanted a market that was different. And so that that desire from the investors uh, tied into the same landlording problems I've been having since I first got started. I'm like, man, how many more, how many much, how many more of these shenanigans and, you know, what I'm going to, I'm going to have to deal with. And I mean, I, I could, I could lay you down, Phil, telling you crazy Trent landlord stories. right? So I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Start another podcast called that. And I'll, I'll, I'll fill your <laughs> airwaves up. Um, but then just our, our investors and I, and I want, and I, and I just knew that I just wanted to try on something different, trying a new market. Yeah. Um, and so we, we expanded into Philadelphia yep. uh, and started doing deals in Philly. And, uh, you know, that was a whole nother thing, uh, you know, uh, a whole nother experience, a whole nother journey. Yeah. And that was a pivotal moment to try to get out of Trenton. Um, and that became a new, that became its own choose your own adventure thing there. And then Philly got hot, you know, then all of yeah. a sudden, like, this is by then, this is like 2013, 2014, when people are like, hey, I can invest in real estate again. And actually the bottom did not fall out of the world. And, you know, like people were starting to come out of their closet. You're know, like, hey, yeah. we can invest again. And, you know, the world, maybe the world isn't falling apart. And so um, things started to get hot and heavy and competitive again. You know, like yeah. I miss those days where you're like, you were the only buyer. Right. Yeah. 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 Back to when we first got started, the problem was getting financing. Right. Now the problem is getting a deal and getting money is easy to find. Getting a, getting a deal is the hard part. But back then, believe it or not, getting the deal yeah. was easy, but the money was very hard to find. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was starting to change. And so we needed to start chasing um, new markets. And so we went from there and expanded out to Lancaster. Um, and our, the word was getting out that we were a company with integrity that was doing good things by people. And our phone was ringing more and more often. And yeah. I needed to focus on handling our investors and finding opportunities and leading the company. And that's, and that's, um, I had to grow into that leadership position and stop like, you know, showing apartments and collecting rent, which is right. what I was, doing. <laughs> I was doing all that myself, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I did grow out of that and into more just a leadership and, and being the magnet of the company position eventually, you know? Yeah. So as you're transitioning into Philadelphia and other areas, were you unloading the Trenton properties to take that capital to reinvest into something else? Or did you continue to own that for a while and use new capital to start moving no, into the new properties? At the time, Phil Trenton was a cash cow at the time. Like you'd kind of built this good. I mean, if you're buying properties on the, on the 2% rule, you know, yeah. um, uh, they, they cash flow pretty well, you know? Yeah. Uh, even if you got to evict every here and again, and even if uh, there, there's the occasional, you know, ne'er do well that's going to try and move in that you got to get out or something like that. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, those properties are pretty good. And so 
we did not sell them uh, up until recently. We're actually just now in the middle of divesting the last of our Trenton portfolio. And this is like 14, 15 years after we got started there. Yeah. Um, and that, and this is now we're in like four different States and I got a, you know, big old team of people that are out helping us find deals. And we've, you know, we've, we've next leveled it, but I'm just now uh, exiting the remainder of my, of my stuff in Trenton that we started with. But, um, but that, that's been a journey in its own. Um, and then the reason we did that is because first of all, you know, investors like to see around a five-year exit, you know, um, yeah. if you can give it to them. Um, and there really wasn't much upside. I mean, the properties, they, they would cash flow most of the time, but then sometimes they wouldn't. Um, and to be able to serve the investor mouths that were starting to show up, we needed to get into larger and larger deals, which means I needed to focus. And again, you're talking to the guy that used to be showing the apartments, collecting the rent. Now I got to go and look for bigger opportunities or find us some place to work with larger groups of investors that want to get into bigger deals. It became a time thing as well that I just couldn't spend my time on the small, on that trend portfolio anymore. Among all the other things that I listed out, it made sense to start divesting. And so we only started divesting in Trenton, I think three or four years ago. And we were just now winding that up now. Yeah. So as you've done evaluate so many deals. And I think that's why I wanted to start with the engineering background, right? Is you, you have the uh, wherewithal and knowledge to be able to do all the nitty gritty detailed evaluations of things. But as, as you've looked at deals, are there any one or two deals that really stand out to you as hmm. either phenomenal deals? Like, wow, I can't believe that one actually ended up happening the way it did or dumpster fire deals where you're like, man, I really thought that one was going to go a lot different than the way it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a few of those. I love all my deals the same, Phil. They're like children. Yeah. yeah. Lies. No. Yeah, I know. All lies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, uh, okay. I'll give you, how about I give you a lemon, <laughs> bought a big fat juicy lemon that I turned into a reasonable glass of lemonade um, in that. How about that one? Yeah, that's perfect. All right, cool. Um, so, so there I was, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. So, so we had expanded up a bit we had access to more and more cat, more and more, um, uh, capital was showing up Yeah. and you know, we, we, I guess we got a little cocky, I guess. Um, and we, I was like, I want to do a Hail Mary deal. Like I I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting tired of these, you know, $300, or $500 cash flowing opportunities, Phil. I want the $5,000 cash flowing opportunity. Yeah. So I um, studied the market and I was like, I want to make a big play. And so I saw that there was a, um, the, the city of Trenton. And I also wanted to make a big difference in the city of Trenton. Yeah. I don't know, you know? Yeah. So the, the, the wave of redevelopment was ha- was coming in from downtown Trenton from where all the state office buildings were. The state of New Jersey was by far the biggest employer mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the city of Trenton. And they still are. They employ like 22,000 people. Wow. So the wave of office space uh, getting gobbled up by the city of Trenton uh, was, was heading um, eastward, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to buy just outside that bubble. And, and like the office buildings and the lobbyist firms... And the third party, third party companies that support the state and all that kind of stuff were just getting bow, 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 bow. Uh, and and uh, the state of New Jersey was out there paying eighteen dollars a month, eighteen dollars per square foot 
Got it. And rent, which is pretty good, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I found myself an office building just outside the bubble for $55 a square foot that I could buy it for. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, that's easy math. Right. Well, I can, I can buy that. And I get, th- I get my, I get a third of my money back every year in rent and they pay the expenses on top of that. So for those that don't know, on a lot of times a commercial, your tenants will pay your real estate taxes, your insurance, your overhead, your operating, yes. your operating expenses. As long as you keep a good wall up and you keep the roof from, uh, from not leaking, they'll take care of the rest, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was like, I'm going to go buy this $55 square foot office building and I'm going to go and hire that same broker to lease it to the state of New Jersey. Ha, huh, I'm brilliant. And on the math, the numbers worked. Yes. Um, then this is like 2007, 2008, right? Um, this, is, this is before we were raising capital. We were using our, we had refied our way. We had okay. refinanced a lot of capital out yeah. um, of a few of the assets we had done from 2005 to 2008. Everybody was doing that. There were people refinancing multiple times in a year because things were going up, 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 up. Right, up, right. Up, 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 right. So we had taken a lot of that refi capital and we, uh, we, we decided we were going to push all in and buy this office building. Right. Yeah. And so we do. And we bought, and again, bank financing to buy a vacant office building, you know, pre-crash vacant office building with some of our own equity um, that we were going to just cross our fingers and hope the state of New Jersey would come and give us big fat rent check on. Right. Yeah. Then 2008 happens, right. Like right after closing. Okay. Yeah. And the governor of the state at the time, a guy named, a guy named governor Corzine, right. Was the one who's driving a lot of that push, 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 push gets beat in the election by a guy you've heard of named Chris Christie. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Chris Christie's like, and he was right. This thing is overblown, overspent. Y'all are spending way too much money and we're going to be pulling this state thing back. And this, this mm. animal you got, you have created is now going to die. And yeah. he pulled the bubble back as a pulled the state growth back along with the bubble bursting at the same time. Wow. Right? Yeah. So we're like, Oh, uh, now we've got this office building and we're residential landlords, you know, that's our, that's our shtick. What do you do with this 10,000 square foot office complex? Yeah. <laughs> Luckily enough, um, for a little while, a Votech high school that was abandoning one of their buildings and having a new building built for them came in and leased it from us for like nine months. And, we're like, yeah. huh. and that gave us enough breathing room to like, you know, get done feeling sorry for ourselves. Um, and the lease that they paid for us was just enough to pay mortgage and pay expenses and stuff like that. Yeah. So then by the time they moved out, it's like, you know, ghost town in the world. All these companies have shut down. Everybody's laid everybody off. Everybody's like, Oh, well, okay. Party over. (laughs) You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Turn the lights (laughs) off. Chris Christie had canceled a lot of leases on a lot of the properties that they were renting out and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, so we ended up turning the building into a small business center. Mm. Um, through a small investment from us, it, yeah. we just pivoted and yeah. turned it into like a Regis office complex. Um, you know, not, not been the best, you know, thing. It's been a bit of an albatross around our neck sometimes, but for the most part, it's been a place we expanded our brand. Yeah. Um, and it's been an okay asset and it's been something that we, uh, dealt with, but I do believe Phil in a lot of ways that it stunted our growth. And had we just stayed in real estate in residential housing, yep. it would have been a different, spent that money on a residential housing piece. It would have been a different move because during the crash, my rent didn't take a blank on, right. the, on, the, on my residential housing. It didn't really go down. Um, 
what did go down was property value, but what didn't go down was people's incomes. And if their Correct. income went down and they couldn't, they couldn't afford to live there anymore, there was somebody else down the block that would that could live there. You could maybe take a 10% rent cut right. and lease it to somebody else. So yeah. that lemon was that building. Yep. The lemonade that we made was office building and moved ourselves in there. And it became yeah. a hub for us for a while. Um, but it, it's still been a, a something, a bit of a labor of love, mostly labor. Yeah you know, yeah, that's <laughs> mostly great. labor, not too much love. Um, but that's been one of those pivot moments that I, and again, I look at it and I was like, when I bought it, I'm like, I'm going to become an office building landlord, screw yeah. this residential housing thing. Um, and now I'm like, you could, I feel you could not put a shotgun to my head for me to buy another office building. At this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, forget about COVID and like that. It's yep. just, it, it, it's just more than I want to deal with. I'd rather just do residential housing because I know what I, I know how to operate that. Yeah. And it's just not, it's not like learning to speak another language. So anyway, that's my story. That's a great story. That's a great story. <laughs> now I want to be respectful of your time, but there's two things left. I want to make sure we do talk about. And one of them is a connection that you've made um, with the bigger pockets group and oh boy. some of the work that you've done there. So how did that come to be and talk about that? Cause you've been impacted. I won't tell, I won't tell the long version of that one. I'll just say that, that, um, that, that, that uh, we worked very hard uh, once we got that break, but that was a break as well. Yeah. Um, and that break just so happens that my wife saw that website and was like, Hey, these guys are different. This is something. Um, and this is back then the RIAs were the only place you could go to learn about real estate. There really wasn't that many websites out there teaching about real estate education, yeah. real estate investors, teaching others about real estate investing. Yeah. You know, it was all gurus. If you want to learn about real estate investing, you had to go pay somebody 10 grand. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there wasn't the place to go that for other investors to teach like, Hey guys, come on, I'll teach you the game. Yep. And that's, what's great about bigger pockets. So Liz fell in love with it. She's like, this is amazing. This is a great site. Yeah. And so she was like, they need, I think they need authors. And so she gets a hold of them and the customer service people connect us to uh, one of their people. And the, the people that we do the phone call with is Brandon Turner. Right. And so we do this conference call with him, you know, yeah. and the whole time on the conference call, we're pitching ourselves about like, Hey, why we're real estate investors and we should be good to write, write for your blog or whatever. Yeah. The whole time on the call, I'm calling it better pockets. Right. <laughs> and I looked at my phone and Liz is blowing me up in like all caps. Cause she's in the other room yeah. and she's blowing my phone up. She's going fool. It's bigger pockets, you know? And yeah. I was just like, and, but he didn't, Brandon was cool about it, you know? And, and, uh, and he was, and he gave us a shot to write articles for them. And we started writing articles for them, I think in 2013 yeah. and for like a year and a half or two years, I wrote articles for them. And then it just so happened that they had somebody cancel on the podcast. Um, and we got a phone call uh, yeah. about say, hey, do you want to be on the show? And we we're like, yes, of course we'll do it. You know? I love it. Yeah. And so that's how we made it on the Bigger Pockets podcast. And, you know, we've, we've developed a, a, a just great relationship with that organization. I can't thank them enough for what they've done for us. And, and Liz and I work very hard for them. And uh, it's, it's been a great, a great partnership. I view them as yeah. that organization as one of our partners, or really, I mean, because yeah. we, we create a lot for them and they've done a lot for us too. So it's yes. one, one of those in the right place at the right time, and then work your ass off with the opportunity as soon as you got it. Right. So yeah, we got lucky because the door opened for us and yeah, we got lucky because we got, we got a hold of bigger pockets when they were small, but then we worked our, our, yeah. you know, what into the ground, um, to, to, uh, prove ourselves to them and to, to leverage their market and write. I mean, I wrote articles every week, 
you know, yeah, uh, to, to create good content for them. And it was great. I enjoyed it. I loved it. You know, Absolutely. I still do I still love working for them. Yes. And to piggyback off that into the writing and it's framed right behind you, but uh, you were the author of a book and it's yes. amazing private capital, which once yes. again, we've heard multiple times today, how that's impacted your uh, real mm -hmm. estate growth, but talk a little bit about that. And uh, you know, the notoriety that that's given you in that segment being, you know, one of the thought leaders there. Well, it's funny. I, raising capital has always been something that just kind of just came naturally as a part of the space for me. And that yeah. like, well, unless you're born with a silver spoon in the mouth, you know, or, or just, you're, you're just a born Rockefeller or you win the lottery or whatever, at some point, you're not going to be able to run this thing with your own money the whole time. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, that's just been a nature of the game and the expansion that I wanted to the splash I wanted to make in real estate yeah. um, was at the time beyond what, what my, uh, what my own personal means were. And so people were like, people saw they could give me money and help me have, and I could put it to work in real estate. Yeah. And it was a, it was a good partnership. And I, and I firmly believe that that's a great way to help people that don't have time build their financial freedom. Cause so, you know, I was short on money. I have plenty of time to have people yeah. out there that have plenty of money, but are short on time. Yep. It, it's a good brokerage, you know, um, yeah. cause both sides have more, have more than, than they need of one of those things, money or time. Right. Yep. Um, and so I, I, I was able to put a lot of these things together. It just seemed like a no brainer to me. And I'm like, you want me to write a book on that? That just seems so simple. Yeah. And like, Oh yeah, yeah. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good topic. And a lot of my articles were about it. Cause it's the life I was leading about right. doing those kinds of things. Um, so I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. You know? And then it was yeah. one of those, like, we, we want you to write a book and I'm like, all right, well, you know, how hard could it be? Yeah. You know, freaking hard, man. Yeah. It's, hard. A book hard, it's a lot of time. A lot of time. Yeah, dude. It, yeah. That's why everybody uses ghostwriters. I did yep. not ghostwrite raising private capital. I wrote that. There's a, there's a lot of coffee Matt drank at Starbucks <laughs> writing, raising private capital, a lot yeah. of two o'clock in the morning nights or, you know, weekends away from my family or whatever, writing that book. But I, um, I, uh, I, I, I wrote it. It was a labor of love. I loved it most of the time. Yeah. And, um, and uh, it, it was a great journey and it was a great way. It was cathartic in some ways to tell a lot of my story because a lot of my story of growing up in real estate investing and, and you know, growing my company to where it's at uh, is in that book. And a lot of, I mean, we, I didn't pull any punches too. I told some like bad horror stories like, man, this is where I got my teeth kicked in. Let's tell yeah. that story, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's not a mat celebration either. You know, yep. it's like, here's what I did good, but here's what I did and learned from it on the good side. Here's what I didn't learn from it on the bad side too. Um, so I'm very proud of it. And, and it's, um, and, it, and it's, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I got the opportunity to write it. And I'm grateful that I got the opportunity to change a lot of people's lives. And I still get people to come up to me and say, Hey, listen, I read your book and I, was able to do my first real estate deal with it or my first equity deal, or I made my investor X amount of dollars because they work with me because I read your book. Yeah. So it's very fulfilling to know that you do something, uh, you take a, take a risk on something. You don't realize it's, it's going to make a difference or not. Yeah. Um, and like this, like for my YouTube channel or for my, my book or whatever, uh, or this interview, right. Yeah. That you just never know the life that you're going to get to touch. Uh, if yeah. I just get up there and do my best to tell the truth and not pull any punches and try and be just funny enough and, you know, be just entertaining enough to, but, but educating enough to, and tell a bit of my, my raw story, that's going to make a difference for people. You never know. Yeah. And I'm just grateful to know that bigger, that, that raising private capital has been able to make a difference for people that have read it. Absolutely. Well, Matt, yeah. 
I appreciate you being on today and sharing your story. Thanks, I mean, it's been so cool to just see some of the underlying tones that have transcended throughout all of the different hmm. projects. But one of the things that I, I have to be highlighting is, you know, you talked about it wasn't just talking about it. It was showing people that you were actually doing it right when it was originally getting uh, equity or funding from your, your father-in-law to be when people started to recognize that you were growing your business, they wanted to be a part of that. And so I think when you, you know, walk the walk, it, it you know, backs up the talking that's going on. And so mm -hmm. uh, I, I love your story. Thank you for sharing Thank it. You. In probably five years, we'll have to do this again when you've gone from hundreds and hundreds of units to thousands of units. Uh, we are thousands, you're Phil, in thousands. just so you know, we are. We broke over a thousand uh, last year. Yeah, Let's so we're, we're, we're next level, man. And I hope it's I not it. five years, man. I like, I'm, I'm enjoying our conversation. I love the name of your podcast because I believe that we all have those pivotal moments where you go left. It's like, choose life is like a choose your own adventure, right? You go yeah. left. This thing's gonna, you take the blue pill, this is gonna happen. You take the red pill, that's gonna happen. <laughs> Whatever. And it doesn't matter which pill you take, because all life's all life, life all takes you to beautiful places. But it's really interesting in looking back at the decisions that we've made and thinking about, you know, where those where those moments took us in that. Yes. So I, I appreciate your show. And you better not wait five more years to have me on the show. All right. I won't. I gotta hear yeah. it. You guys heard it first. <laughs> We're not waiting five more years. So thanks again, Matt. Cool. I love Matt's story and I love how he was willing to step into opportunities. Uh, thing that highlighted or really stuck out to me was when he wanted to get financing, he didn't just go and ask somebody. He had done all of the detailed work beforehand and that led people to have faith and confidence that he was able to do it. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Who Knew in the Moment podcast.